there's no better course. So, and cross country skiing is meant to be hard. Uh, really fun race. And hi, I'm Rosie Frankowski from AP. See, here we have with the hero Bjorn Daly. That's the great thing about sport. Make it rain. Make make it rain. You play to win. It is. I mean, that's that's our sport. So. Toughen up, train harder, and get in that pack and make it rain. Make it rain. Make it make it rain. Hi, this is Andy Newell. Ah, uh, Kyle Brown. I'm Haley Swerble. Get some facts. I go back and First of all, skis need wax. I just went over it. How you pull up, baby? How you pull up? Good race. Uh, skis have worked amazingly. Skis are just fast as lightning. What's up in the kitchen? Brand new Lamborghini, a cop car With a pistol on my hip like I'm a cop Have you ever met a real new rock star? This ain't no good talk, this is a clock You hate to have too much time to stew in your own juices It's safe to say I earned it, ain't a new Gave me nothing I'm ready to hop out on a new Get the bus, know you heard me say you play you late on me mental toughness, it's confidence, it's doing the hard workouts. We talking about practice, man. Week after week, effectively, and using those hard workouts, the train, both the focus, the mental aspect, and the physiological aspect. I think the more of these kind of discussions we have, the better. I'm always waking up a cold sweats like I got the flu. My daughter, the chief, she saw me killing it before the age of two, and I kill him. What can you tell me about what daily life looks like? I mean, it's got to be pretty. I really do feel like I've done everything I can to prepare, and, and if things break the right way, you know, anything's possible. This ain't no good talk, this is a clock. My clock told me to promise you gon' squeeze me. Better let me go the day you need me. What's your why? You know, if you know what I mean? Like, you're, that kind of deeper purpose that is like, I'm, it's worth it because of this. Um, I like skiing, man. And uh, I like skiing. I like skiing. Good morning, everyone. You are listening to the Cedar Skier Podcast on Shovel Lake Public Radio. We are in Leadville broadcasting to you live from the CedarSkier.com studios here at 10,000 feet. 10,000 feet, you know, here we are. And we got Ajay, producer, in the back there. We have a special show for you today, okay? We got Noah Hoffman joining us to um, give us a little bit of insight. Actually, a lot of insight. You're, you're gonna, in fact, I'm going to shut up here in a second. We're just going to roll the interview that we had with Noah because it is pure gold. Uh, basically, just to catch you up to speed, if you're not familiar who Noah Hoffman is, um, you should know who Noah is if you're a cross-country ski fan, but he was a 2014-2018 Olympian from Aspen, Colorado. He trained with Ski Club Vale as well, so he's got the connection there locally with us. And um, he now, after his distinguished career, has I think he's a founding board member of Global Athlete, which basically an international athlete-led movement. I'll go to their website here to just kind of read what their um, goals are, their mission statement. It says, um, collectively address the balance of power between athletes and administrators. We aim to help athletes gain a more represented voice in world sport, recognizing that the neglection and suppression of the athlete voice has gone on for too long. 
We aim to bring sport into the 21st century by mobilizing athletes following the unprecedented uprising in which athletes have called for enhanced rights and major changes to the way sport is run, whether it be athlete welfare, unlocking athletes' marketing potential, ensuring athletes receive Olympic revenues, or simply better representation at the decision-making table, Global Athlete will fearlessly tackle the issues that really matter, working with athletes to determine what needs to change and how to go about changing it. So NOAA was part of a roundtable discussion that took place not that long ago, just this past week, and in fact you may have seen some articles on the Associated Press or elsewhere. Um, I shared some on our Facebook page as well, one of them that quoted NOAA. Uh, the Human Rights Watch, they have held a roundtable discussing um, athletes speaking up and speaking out at the upcoming Beijing Olympic Games. And essentially, they were saying that, um, you know, because of the um, issues going on in China with the Uyghur Muslims, uh, many other things, too. We have the tennis player um, that actually was Noah talked about this. He has a podcast as well. But uh, Peng Shui, I think I'm, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but the tennis player that disappeared in China. Um, all sorts of things are going on over there. They're kind of crazy. Basically, uh, the the Human Rights Watch um, a board is kind of suggested to athletes that if they want to do something about this, they can boycott the Olympic Games. NOAA um, obviously stood up for athletes saying that's pretty ridiculous and unrealistic to ask uh, some of these athletes whose careers are defined and determined by Olympic um, being at the Olympics as his was as well, Nordic skiers especially, that you can't just boycott games and essentially... Uh, there's a lot more going on here, though. I mean, he, he discusses a root issue problem um, that uh, is quite fascinating, you know, and the work that Global Athlete is doing to to improve the voice of athletes. Uh, it, it's very fascinating. And all the credit to Noah for all that work that he's doing. I mean, if, if they are, if they can be successful in, in doing some positive change here, you know, you think 10, 15, 20 years down the road, it, it could be unbelievable uh, uh, benefit for, for many, many individuals. Right now we sort of have a, um, a dictatorship at the top with some of these organizations, FIS, the IOC, Etc. Even national governing boards. There's just not really a proper government structure to allow athletes to voice concerns and to hold those uh, larger organizations accountable, which really is a, a key movement there for global athletes is, is to do that, to hold the IOC accountable, hold this accountable. So uh, I saw the article and I was like, man, this is interesting because Noah was quoted just a couple quotes in AP and um, he basically was saying, you know, I, I would discourage athletes to speak up and speak out. Uh, wealthy Olympics, you know, basically keep your mouth shut. And, and I was kind of like, man, that seems sort of interesting that here we have someone basically saying like, Hey, I know you might believe in some things, but, um, don't talk when you're in China because it could be dangerous. So I wanted to get a follow up, get a discussion with him. So happy. He, he gave us, um, some of his time in this discussion. We also, you know, I, I wish we could have talked more, uh, but we did, uh, talk a little bit about the U.S. Olympic team selection members, by the way, I don't know if you saw it, you know, after, as I predicted, uh, team members released. I saw many people uh, picketing uh, and protesting out on the mineral belt by the grooming. You know, we want a uh, cedar skier on the Olympic team. I, I, I don't know if you saw that clamoring, but it was uh, pretty evident to me that there's some injustice there that we, we did not receive a phone call. Uh, but it's okay. Nonetheless, we move on. We fight the goal. Um, the goal has always been 2040 Shovel Lake Olympics. Right, Ajay? I think that's where we're headed. Also, I actually did uh, challenge Noah and um, fellow Colorado Aspen skier Simi Hamilton to a race. You'll have to find out what they said about that or what he said about that, his interests. Um, but alas, 
I'm not going to spend any more time doing this intro. I know you probably want to hear my rambling takes, but we'll make another podcast here in a bit coming up about the Olympics, the teams. We can do a deep dive if you want. Uh, we're hoping to get Novi McCabe on the show. We really want a Novi Cedarquist, Novi McCabe showdown interview. We think it would be a big time um, amazingness. So this is Cedar Skier Podcast. We're going to get to the the um, interview. Just want to give a shout out to our sponsor, U.S. Ski Pole Company. Of course, you get a ski pole. You get a ski pole. You get a ski pole. Everybody gets free ski poles. Sorry, Andy, um, if that is not what you wanted, but the Oprah Winfrey giveaway has begun. Um no, I'm not. I, I'm not. But if you want to buy ski poles, uh, give me a shout out. You can email us at cedarskier at gmail.com with questions, comments, concerns, and anything else. Okay, here we go. This is the interview. Noah Hoffman. Uh, this is why you came. So here we go. Where are you at right now? Like, what? Um, where are you living? What are you up to these days? Yeah, so I, well, I'm currently in uh, the Wood River Valley in Idaho, but I'm just here on my winter break. Uh, my sister lives here, um, so I've been skiing every day in the backcountry, which has been super fun. Um, but uh, I'm finishing up my undergrad at Brown University, so I uh, retired after the 2018 games and... Uh, went straight into college, but didn't have any credits, uh, you know, coming out of my ski career. And so started as a 28-year-old first year, and uh, here I am as a senior about to graduate. So one semester left. I'm heading back to Rhode Island uh, next week to, uh, to start that semester. What's your degree in? Uh, economics. And I'm thinking about, yeah, potentially law school next, although I'm really not sure. Oh, that's awesome. Wow. Uh, so... Do you just out of curiosity? Do you Nordic? Like, how often do you Nordic ski these days? And do you ever like get on there and go, "Oh man, maybe I should just like sign up and try and win the Berkey or something"? <laughs> uh, no, I've got. Uh, I'm not in shape to go win the Berkey. I can assure you of that. Um, I, I I will say that most of the time I put on skis these days, it's my it's my AT setup to go ski in the backcountry. Um, I just uh, I love going out you know, off the groom trails and exploring new terrain and uh, kind of got to ski all over. We did a ski trip a couple weeks, a week ago in Great Basin National Park. I love just getting to go to new places, explore new places. But um, I do miss cross-country skiing some, and I love watching my teammates, uh, you know, succeed, Jesse and Rosie and the Pattersons and uh, Haley Swervel from Aspen. And it's just, it's so fun to watch everyone kicking butt over there and the new crop of, of young cross-country skiers for the men um you know doing better than better than we ever did you know on a consistent basis uh it's it really really cool to see so uh i will say i'm yeah definitely not going to be jumping into the birthday anytime soon but uh out on skis as much as i can even if there may be different type of skis often <laughs> no, that's okay and you know if you're ever back in aspen there's that race up independence pass and i'm kind of like a very specialized type of skier where it's got to be like an uphill grind and i can double pull fast so you seem like kind of the aerobic <laughs> monster type too so if you uh if you ever want to come it would be like really sweet we could just duke it out the independence pass <laughs> uh, but, that sounds great <laughs> uh anyway I, yeah and actually i did have some questions i wanted to ask you about the team too and that that probably you know that's not going to end up in the veil daily article but you know depending on how this conversation goes and if you're interested i have a little podcast that we could put it up on there as well and i've got a few dedicated ski followers that might find it interesting to see what you think but i wanted to jump in so this meeting that goes down 
um, Human Rights Watch. And like the stories, I was trying to do some dig diving. Like I really just wanted to see if there was a recording of the whole meeting, you know, because it's like, what went down here? Like what all, what was all said? You know, they had a few quotes from you, but can you kind of like, I guess, tell us how you were there, why you were there and, and really all that was said? Yeah, and uh, and I probably can get you a recording of the whole thing if you want. They have it available for media, so okay. um, I can ha- happy to hook that up with you. But um, yeah, so it was, uh, you know, I, I have kind of gotten more and more into activism, especially like athlete activism uh, since retiring, and it was almost kind of uh, luck that got me into this. Um, I was you know, finishing up my career. And at first I got into kind of like the anti-doping world and um, I was doing some contract work with U.S. anti-doping to educate athletes. Um, And I still do some of that work. Um, But I also got hooked up with this brand new activism organization called Global Athlete. And Global Athlete's mission is essentially to uh, to hold the IOC accountable to athletes. Um, the IOC and other international bodies like WADA, like the Court of Arbitration for Sport, like the IPC, the International Paralympic Committee, and the international federations like FIS as well. Um, you know, these bodies essentially uh, are, you know, act beyond any accountability. They're, they're supranational organizations, meaning that they're not accountable to any one national government. And they're so broad in scope that, you know, they're not accountable to any one sponsor because they've got many different sponsors or any one host city because they're constantly jumping around host cities. And it has really led to these, these almost unaccountable organizations. And I think that's hurting the, the Olympic movement and hurting sport and stopping Olympic sport from kind of living up to its potential. And we've seen this, I've studied since retiring and gotten into this work, I've studied kind of the history of like the Major League Baseball Players Association and how uh, athlete power and accountability for administrators in Major League Baseball really led to a boom in the sport of baseball in this country. It did not hurt the owners as they claimed it would. It actually made the players invested in the success of the league and led to a real, uh, you know, to, to baseball players being some of the highest paid athletes and to baseball owners and management also obviously financially being very successful and, and to baseball being an incredibly popular sport. It, of course, got its ups and downs, but I think that's possible in Olympic sport as well, but it, it really would take a, a paramount shift in how, uh, how sport administration functions on the international stage. So that's a long way of saying how I got. So this, this organization, Global Athlete, um, I was one of the founding kind of athlete board members of it, and um, I'm still a member of that board. And that work has really grown. It's been multifaceted. Um, we worked a lot on kind of Rule 40, which is the rule that prohibits athletes from promoting their personal sponsors while at the games. Um, we worked on kind of specific cases, like the case of Iranian wrestler Navid Afkari. Uh, a short story of that is Navid was um, protesting the Iranian regime in 2018 and was staged for this murder and human rights uh, of a security guard. Um, human Rights Watch and others have kind of debunked uh, the evidence uh, that, that was used to frame Navid for this murder, and but the Iranian re- regime, because he's an athlete, he's a, he's a wrestler, which is one of the, the most high-profile sports in Iran, 
um, they they kind of used him to set an example against protesting the regime, and they they charged him with this murder in this uh, this court that you know did not have any of the international standards for good jurisprudence or um, a, a good criminal justice system, and he was sentenced to death. Um, and we believe that the IOC had a responsibility to step in because they, you know, the sport of wrestling is, is an Olympic sport, and they are, uh, they're an international body with a lot of power. And we believe that if the Iranian regime was going to execute their athletes uh, as examples because they are athletes, as an example to the rest of the population, that they shouldn't be allowed to participate in the Olympic movement. And so we pressured the IOC to step in and to save Navid's life, um, which they uh, they did not fully do. Um, they did not threaten, nor did they, after Navid was ex- executed, uh, sanction the Iranian Olympic Committee. Um, and that's the type of accountability that I want to see. Um, so that's just a, an overview of some of the active, uh, the work that we do at Global Athlete and the activism. And, and so that leads us to Beijing 2022, where uh, there are, you know, many, many human rights abuses happening in China, especially with the Uyghur population, but also in Hong Kong, Hong Kong, and in Taiwan, or, or the threatening that they have of Taiwan, um, among others. And then the limitations on free speech and what happened to Pong Shuai, the tennis player, when she spoke up, um, and the lack of free speech protection for athletes heading to Beijing. And just this last weekend, we had the a senior member of the organizing committee for Beijing 2022 saying that athletes who speak out um, against Chinese law will be punished without saying what that punishment will be. But Chinese law, when it comes to uh, what kind of speech is permitted, especially speech that's critical of the Chinese state, is very opaque. It's not clear at all what kind of speech she's talking about. But uh you know, likely if an athlete were to stand up for human rights or call for uh, democracy in Hong Kong or democracy uh, in in China as a whole or for the rights of the Uyghur people, that would be considered against Chinese law. And it's unclear what would happen to an athlete if that were the case. Um, and so these are the types of issues that athletes are facing going into Beijing 2022. This is what we talked about at the Human Rights Watch press conference, which I was at as a member of Global Athlete. And because of the activism I've done, I, uh, I host the Global Athlete podcast, and I did a full episode on Pong Shui and the disappearance of Pong Shui. And um, that was kind of what sparked the attention of, of Human Rights Watch. Um, and so we're just trying to, yeah, sorry. I, that was a long, long, no, long, no. Off, my apologies. Hey, no, it's, <laughs> it was great. Lots of context. A lot of that stuff I, I was aware of. Obviously, the Iran thing, that the wrestler, that was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Would you consider, um, if I'm understanding you right, right, that you guys are trying to kind of hold the IOC accountable? It sounds like you did what should have been done in that case, but there must not have been enough pressure, obviously, right? If, if, if the IOC didn't step in and do something. So would you consider it to be sort of like, well, guys, we're still kind of in the infant stages of this, right? Like we need to, um, keep, keep making our voice stronger or like even just going back to that Iran case, what did you guys do moving at, like after that to kind of go, what could we, what could we do differently? Or, cause that sounds really tragic, you know? It, really tragic. So yeah, I think that's just an example of why we need 
more athletes to stand up and why athletes need to be um, organized independently of sports administrators, right? Like all of the uh, kind of athlete representation model in Olympic sport right now is, uh, is organized through the administration. So the IOC Athletes Commission is really part of the IOC administration. Same with the WADA Athlete Committee, same with the FIS Athlete Committee, same even in this country. There is a little bit of independence now between the USOPC Athlete Committee and the organization, the USOPC, but not very much. Um, there's still the, there's finally some independent, there's an independent employee whose job it is to, uh, to lead or to support the IOC, sorry, the USOPC Athletes Commission, but there's but that person is still an employee of the USOPC, and there's there's no real separation there. And then same at, even down to the US Ski and Snowboard level, right, where the US Ski and Snowboard Athlete Commission is just part of US Ski and Snowboard. There is no independence. And yeah, it's kind of like a tyrannical setup, you know, like <laughs> like exactly be like I, I mean I understand your MLB example, right, where it's like those players have their own organization like which is why they can kind of go well i guess if you're not going to meet our demands like there's a strike here right i mean like the athletes are sort of powerless right i mean because oh, of that absolutely yeah no a hundred percent there's you can't have right if, if you're if your representatives are part of the administration that you're trying to hold accountable yeah. you're never going to actually be able to hold the administration accountable and in fact like there are laws in this country that say that like a union employee cannot be paid for by management that's actually against the law because it doesn't work and but yet that's what we have in sport because they're not considered unions um and so i mean you know, I think it's it is nearly impossible to form an international union that can hold the IOC accountable because you're talking about 208 national Olympic committees, all with different laws about how unions operate, and you're you know, and you're including countries like China and Russia that have absolutely no protection for workers' rights or no worker power. Um, and then you also have, you know, 40-some-odd international federations encompassing, like, 100-and-some-odd sports. Um, the, the, the diversity of the Olympic movement is a huge barrier to organizing athletes in, the, you know, in any way that resembles what you see in Major League Baseball or the NFL or the NHL. But we, we're, that global athlete... You know, we believe that at least we can try to be an independent organization. We're not going to get every country. We're not going to get every athlete. But the bigger we can grow and the more that um, we can show that athletes want to have an independent representation to hold administrators accountable, then we could actually have real power and real leverage to ensure that the IOC protects its athletes like they did not in the case of Navid Fard. Okay, so I'm glad you brought up all the stuff going on in China, too, and this is sort of why I really wanted to speak with you because the quote in the article, it says, I have anger that athletes are put in this position. Athletes have absolutely no choice in where the Olympics are held and whether or not to attend the games, said two-time Olympian Hoffman, who criticized calls for athlete boycotts during a roundtable on Beijing 2022 hosted by Human Rights Watch today. So here's the thing is like, you know, I can hear in your voice and your tenor, it's like you, I I assume, hopefully, right? Otherwise, I guess this conversation ends ends awkwardly. But like this thing is going on with the weaker Muslims, all that stuff, like that's, that's bad. But what I understood you trying to say and explain is like, well, look, you can't just tell 
on a, a Jess Diggins to go, well, why don't you just boycott the games then? You know, because it's like their careers depend on this and Nordic skiing especially, right? Like we understand that that is the pinnacle. And for many of these people, like that's, like you said, sponsorship, skiing careers defined by it, blah, blah, blah. Um, so there's really, they're powerless, right? They can't, they can't like stand up and they have no choice on where the Olympics are held, like you said too. But it almost kind of made it seem like, I don't know, the tenor from that was like, oh gosh, does Noah Hoffman think an athlete shouldn't stand up for those human rights abuses? So like first, if I don't know, I want to give you the chance to like clarify or at least kind of explain that. And also, what is the pressure that um, your group would be putting on the IOC or just China in general, I guess? Like, because, you know, you mentioned the example with Iran, where it's like, we're trying to pressure the IOC because you know, Iran shouldn't get to compete in that global athletics arena if they're going to do this, right? So what would be the solution to China? Sorry, multiple questions there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, so I'll, I'll start with, I mean, absolutely, you're 100% right that, like, Jesse or any of us in the cross-country skiing world can't opt to skip the Olympics and continue our careers. It would be, you know, it would be a crushing blow to Jesse after she has, you know, so many sponsors, so many expectations on her leading to this game, has been the, you know, defending Olympic champion. But, it, you know, not just Jesse, like, the reason that I have a platform to stand up, every time I'm introduced at one of these events, it's because I'm a two-time Olympic. It's not because I won three national championships. It's not because I won two World Cups. It's not because I was on the USD team for 10 years. Nobody actually cares about those things. Yeah. But they, the word Olympics matters, and they do actually care about the Olympics. And so it defines an athlete's career. And it, yeah, yes, it's, a, it's in Nordic skiing, it's particularly important, the games. But I think that's true in most Olympic sports, sorry, especially winter Olympic sports, yeah. um, where you, you, know, you don't have like... You know, in the summer games, they've got, like, tennis, which has the majors, and you've got, um, you know, track and field athletes. The Diamond League is, like, pretty darn big. Or you've got soccer, where they don't even have the biggest players in the world coming. It's just a U23 tournament because the World Cup is so much bigger. Um, obviously, that's not true in cross-country skiing, and it's not true in most winter Olympic sports, with the exception of hockey, right, where the best hockey players are not going to compete in Beijing yeah. because they've got a bigger bigger fish to fry. Um and so that that's um, yeah, absolutely you're right. There's no there's no choice for athletes that you know athletes in order to compete in Beijing they have to sign away uh, a bunch of their rights, and this is true in all Olympic games. Um, one of those things that they're signing away this year uh, is any liability to the organizing committee if they get sick with COVID and have like career ending illness or anything like that. Even though the IOC says, oh yeah yeah, we're gonna keep athletes safe at the games but if the athletes get sick it's 100 percent their responsibility we they, they waive any right uh, legally to hold us responsible for not keeping their workplace safe sure. um so uh that's yeah so in terms of what i we would like to see from the ioc um so there's a there's a broad question right of like the, the games being awarded to China, China, period, or to any country that has a documented history of human rights abuses, right? And whether whether that should be should be the case, you know, should be allowed. And we we believe that at the very least, athletes should have a say in the matter, um, and that it should be right that, that the IOC should be accountable to athletes. There should be a negotiation between athletes and the IOC about where the games are being awarded. Then the then the athletes would have some. Um, some authority over the thing and then they would have some responsibility as well and, and just for your just for context like you guys didn't have because you're it's pretty new like beijing had been awarded the games before you guys would have been able to 
kind of step in and do something, right? I mean, just the the like the um, global athlete wasn't even really around early enough when that those things were happening. Am I correct on like that timeline even? Yeah, no, we we had. I mean, we we were we were too young of an organization. But, yeah, but, yep. You know, we what we what we have done is call out. You know, so the IOC, because of the Beijing uh, awarding process, where by the time the games were awarded, there were only two countries left in the running: Kazakhstan and China. Um, you know, neither choice maybe is is stellar on a human rights record. Um, as you've seen major protests in Kazakhstan over the last six months, we'd be having you know an equally dire conversation if the yeah. game were going to Kazakhstan. Um, so you know the, the response from the IOC was to say, okay, rather than having this really public bid process where the public had the opportunity to vote down uh, the the chance to bid, which actually would have provided some accountability, right? If the IOC, so one response the IOC might have had was like, we need to to make sure that host cities are prioritized um, in terms of benefiting from these games so that the, the public sees the benefit of hosting the Olympics. We need to make sure that uh, that we're seen as a really strong organization that stands up for, for human rights and that stands up for unity and all of these symbols of Olympism. We need to actually show that we are embodying these symbols of Olympism so that host countries want to be a part of this process so that we're not left with only these authoritarian regimes who want to host the games. But the IOC's response instead was to say, oh no, if this is what you're going to do and you're going to publicly vote us down, then we're just going to put the entire bid process behind closed doors, which they've done now. They did with Sydney, um, or sorry, uh, Melbourne 2032, right? The entire bid process was just behind closed doors, and then they come out one day and say, okay, Melbourne's going to host the games in 2032. That's just the way it's going to be. There is no bid process anymore. So they have actually become less transparent and less accountable since they awarded the games to China. Um, they're moving in the wrong direction. So, So first of all, we would like to see accountability in the bid process, transparency in the bid process, and and you know necessitating that they are actually making the games beneficial to the host countries, so that countries want to host these games, and so that there's not this enormous cost that only the authoritarian regimes that are able to use the games to their political advantage are willing to go through this this host city process. So that's one. <laughs> um, more kind of trans. More more immediately, we want to see the International Code of Human Rights or International Declaration of Human Rights in, um, embedded into the uh, into the IOC's framework, um, and so that it is part of. So that, for instance, the international human right of freedom of expression is embodied into the IOC, and so that every host city, including China, if that's where the games are going to go, has to abide by athletes' freedom of expression, rather than what is happening now, which is saying that you know any athlete that speaks out against the laws of China, no matter how opaque those are, no matter how much those violate an athlete's freedom of expression, um, is going to be subject to punishment. So, to, you know, transparency and accountability in the bid city, in the host city process, human rights into the uh, Olympic Charter, the IOC code, the Olympic Charter. Um, and then third is just accountability, where the IOC says we are going to guarantee the safety of any athlete that says anything, uh, you know, that is within their, their right and their, their freedom of expression, their ability to say um, we are going to protect athletes um, 
and we're going to ensure that, that no matter where in the world they are, no matter where the Olympics are being sent, that athletes have a right to stand up for the values they believe in. They have a right to stand up for human rights. They have a right to stand up for human dignity. They have a right to call out racism, to call out genocide, to call out any uh, any social issue that they believe in because athletes have a right to freedom of expression to use their platform just like everyone else does. So that's kind of three things that we're calling for immediately. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of almost seems like the posturing the IOC by saying, hey, look, um, if you if you speak out, like you're you're going to be subject to whatever China's rules are. We can't do anything. Essentially, like they're admitting China is our daddy, right? Like, am I, am I, you right? Because it's like, they're kind of going, Hey, if you do something crazy, we're not gonna be able to step in and protect you at this point, which is like the exact opposite of how it should be. Yeah, not only are they saying we're not going to protect you, they're saying that if you speak out on the field of play or the podium, we're going to be also punishing you. Not only is China going to be punishing you, but we're going to punish you, just like they did with you know John Carlos and Tommy, Tommy Smith in Mexico City. We're going to kick you out of the games. We're going to try to strip your medals. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and we're, we're, I mean, I, I guess <laughs> I understand why the IOC was trying to, not that I'm like on their side per se in, in that stance, but I understand where they were trying to go, hey, look guys, let's just have a competitive sphere, you know, um, don't speak out of the podium, don't do all this, blah, blah, blah. But it almost seems like protection is a whole different level. You know, like on the one hand, um, yeah, I, yeah and, I, and I'm not sure where I stand on this because I think I think you're right. I think athletes should be able to like speak out against things, whether it's racism, genocide, whatever. And the Olympics, the IOC shouldn't be able to go, well, I guess you're getting sent home now. But even more foundational than that is like, if it's my son or daughter or myself going to compete, like it's pretty terrifying to think, oh gosh, like here I am in a communist nation, just sort of like if they decide to do anything, because let's face it, they could just go, oh, you're under arrest for this. And now it's like the IOC isn't going to step in and do anything. To me, it's almost like not two separate things, but you see what I mean? It's almost one is almost more foundational, but maybe not. <laughs> no, no I, I agree with you. And I, I think where, where the lines get blurry, though, is that if you go back to what happened to Peng Shui, the tennis player, so, you know, the, she, she spoke out against an elite Communist Party official about sexual abuse that she had suffered at his hands. Um, and then was immediately disappeared, which is this, this thing the IOC does to, to the people who speak out against it, which is extrajudicial, right? There's no trial. Um, they're, they're just, they're taken, either put on house arrest or taken into custody. And I did a whole podcast on this, but they, um, they are, you know, completely silenced. Peng Shui, who's one of the most famous athletes in China, was completely wiped off the internet. The term tennis. And the surname Pong, which is extremely popular in China, were both censored in China. You could not search those terms. Or they, if you searched them, they would come up with no results. Wow. I mean, it's, it's just That's insane. Crazy. Can you imagine Jesse Diggins? It was not <laughs> even that famous when it comes to U.S. athletes being wiped off the Internet. And it's yeah. insane. And then the IOC comes in and says, 
nothing to see here. We're not even going to mention the sexual assault allegations. Instead, we're going to work with the Communist Party in China to set up a press conference to show that, oh, Pong is all right, even though it's very, um, very clear from people who study these things and people who have gone through these disappearances that the press conference and the public statements have all been staged. They've all been under the influence of the Chinese Communist Party. And the IOC here is working with the CCP to cover up the Peng Shui story. That is actively harming an athlete as opposed to protecting an athlete. It's actively they're claiming to be apolitical, yet they're working with the Chinese Communist Party on covering up this story about an Olympic athlete to, to you know, to parrot the Communist Party line. It is just mind-boggling the, the lack of responsibility that they've shown for athletes and the amount that they're willing to bend over for the CCP. So that's where it's, um, yes, the IOC maybe, you know, in black and white terms should have a duty to protect athletes and the the, the punishing athletes for podium protests or for speaking on the field of play feel secondary. But when you look at the, at the IOC's actions and how they've actually worked with the CCP to, to cover up their stories and, and they, they play the political line, it's, it's clear that it's actually the, the, it, it, those, those issues are actually one and the same. Man, this is so crazy. Um, okay, so no, I I love it. I love that you have podcasts too. I have to now. I'm gonna I'm gonna have some material for my you know daily double poll sessions here. But um, I was I wanted to bring it back to in the meeting. So like, and it'd be it would be kind of cool. I don't know how long how much time I'd have to like listen through all of it. But can you give me the Spark Notes version basically of why you were in a position where you had to go? Hey, look, like you can't ask for athletes to boycott. That's ridiculous. Which, um. Oh, I'll throw in this little anecdote and I guess I'll let you respond. But I, you know, I, I use Jesse Diggins. That's actually kind of a bad example. Maybe you'd agree with me on this. She's so successful and big now. She probably could boycott or like a Michaela Schifrin, right? If Michaela Schifrin said, screw it, I'm not going to the Olympics. It would be hilarious because the IOC would have to do something. She's such a money um, with NBC networks, right? Like the whole winter Olympics would come crumbling down. If a Michaela Schifrin was like, nah, sorry. Right. And it's, it's almost more those, you know, people who are brand new, right? The first time Olympians, the Novi McCabe's and the Julia Kearns and and all of them where it's like, hey, they haven't really established themselves well enough. Um, so, so maybe you can respond to that. But but I'm really curious as to like, what were some of those things being said where you felt like you had to come to the defense of athletes and go, it's not realistic to boycott? Yeah, well, I'm not, I'm, you know, I, I totally agree with you that people like Novi McCabe and Julia Kern, um, you know, they, they need the Olympics to elevate their careers, and it's super important. But I'm not so concerned, I'm not so sure that that Jesse doesn't need the Olympics more than the Olympics need her. Um, I, I, you know, the Olympics, like I said, there are so many different sports. I mean, you think about, you know, the way that, the the top international you know tennis players sometimes choose not to compete in the Olympics because they're uh, you know they're too close to the Grand Slams. Right. The Olympic brand is not necessarily that hurt by those athletes being gone, and those athletes have way more international name uh, recognition than Jesse does. Um, even now, even with Jesse's you know <laughs> wonderful recent magazine covers and all of that. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think that uh, I think that even somebody like Jesse, you know, would 
would have a hard time forcing change by herself. It really does need to be a collective action to force change. Um, now, in terms of why I am sitting there saying that athletes don't have a choice, um, it's because you do get some activists, you know, saying that that the you know, let's see, they're saying that. Um, that athletes should just not show up, that these games and the human rights abuses that they that they represent and the human rights abuses that they're being used to cover up are just too great uh, for an athlete to continue to focus on their careers. But that really is like asking an athlete um, to quit their job, to go find a new job, to, to end their career, to end this thing that they have worked at for 15, 20, 25 years. And, you know, you think about how long Jesse has been skiing and competing and waiting to win individual an individual medal the Olympics, you know, which we, we all hope she can do. The same thing with Rosie. I mean, these athletes, you know, have been have dedicated their entire lives. I did too, you know, for my career. Um, and it is it is not realistic to ask them not to show up. And what I'm really trying to say too is is that you know, even asking an athlete to, to stand up and use their voice on the uh, you know, while they're at the games is not fair because it's it's asking them to put their lives at risk, asking them to risk being silenced, to risk being detained. It's it's unclear exactly what would happen. In some ways, that unknown is actually more scary um, to not know what would happen to you. Um, and and I, so what I'm trying to do is bring the conversation back to why are athletes in this position where they can't speak up, where they're being asked not to attend the games, where the U.S. government has decided not to go. Um, you know, which I don't I don't disagree with the with the diplomatic boycott, but it's a shame that the U.S. feels like it has to boycott diplomatically because it would benefit Jesse Diggins, for instance, to have the Biden administration putting more emphasis on these games, bringing more of an attention to them. Instead, the Biden administration has to shun these games, and it's all because of the decisions that the IOC made. So I'm trying to take the spotlight away from all of these consequences about, you know, should athletes speak up, should athletes boycott, should the government boycott, and say all of this comes back to the IOC's lack of uh, commitment to human rights and lack of commitment to athletes and lack of accountability. That's where all of it comes back to. That's really well said and definitely very clarifying. And given your experience and knowledge and involvement now, if you were headed to a third Olympic Games, what would you do in this situation? Because, and as you alluded to, you know, you kind of talked about how I think your quote was the, you know, there's a lack of digital privacy, lack of ability to speak freely. Um, you even said, I know my teammates are being shielded about questions on these issues for their own safety. You know, so like if you if you were just magically all of a sudden going and you were an athlete competing, would you just kind of, all right, I guess I I need to just not speak out. Or would you go, no, man, I'm no Hoffman. Like I'm smart and I, I'm bold and this is what needs to be said. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I, I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm not any more superhuman than any of my teammates are, and uh, I, I would not, it is not worth the risk. I, you know, I've thought a lot about these issues, and I, believe me, like, I think that athletes speaking out is extremely valuable, not just to the athletes, but also to the broader society. I think about the speaking out that Jesse has done on issues of eating disorders. I think about the power that Keegan has had to inspire people in the survivor community after her cancer experience. And I, I like, that's what makes athletics so valuable to me. That's why I'm still involved in sport at all, is because I believe in the power of athletes to really, you know, transcend sport and be 
like instrumental role models in society. And so it just kills me to, to tell, tell athletes that they should be quiet, that they should not speak up. But if I were headed to these games, I would have my mouth shut because I do not believe that athletes will be safe if they're speaking out about the issues in China, human rights issues, or about issues relating to the IOC at this point. I would be speaking, I would be shouting to the high heavens when I got back from China, but it is not worth the risk. And that's why we're advising athletes, I'm advising athletes not to speak out. Um, and that, that really is painful for me to do. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is crazy. Uh, do you have, do you have a few more minutes? Do you want to chat about like, uh, your thoughts on the U S team at all? I know I've, I really appreciate the time you've given me so far. So I understand if you need to go, but, um, it would be, it would be fascinating to hear kind of what your thoughts are since that was just announced the other day. I know how connected you are, how much you watch and stuff, but I assume you've got, um, a more educated opinion than I would be able to give. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I, you know, I'm I'm super excited for all the athletes. Of course, I know how painful it is too for the athletes who who didn't make it, who just missed out. I was, uh, you know, I had that experience for multiple World Junior Championships, and honestly, I I thought that there was a time when I thought I could qualify in Vancouver 2010, and uh, definitely did not do that. So I know how it feels to be on both sides. And um, it's I, I want to definitely recognize the athletes that are not on the list because they you know have dedicated just as much to this as the athletes that are on the list that are going to Beijing and both sets of athletes deserve um, our you know our well wishes and our excitement and our applause for what they've done. Um, obviously, I'm particularly excited about Jesse and Rosie and Caitlin and Scott because I've gotten to compete with them, gotten to travel with them. You know, they're like siblings to me. I know them so well. And uh, also a specific shout out to Haley Sorbel, who, you know, is from the Roaring Fork Valley and skied at Aspen Valley Ski Club and um, is really part of this, this legacy of Colorado Olympic skiers that that I'm lucky to be part of and really excited to, to watch what Haley can do and excited for her to be heading for her first Olympics. Um, as for all the other younger athletes, um, you know, I've, I've known Gus Schumacher since he was really young. I've loved watching his success this year. Um, I've, you know, uh, some of the athletes I don't even know. I don't think I've ever met Luke Jager or J.C. Schoenmacher, um, but I've been loving to watch that. Watching their success this year has been really inspiring. And like I said, this young group of men, uh, they're, you know, this is, this is just the beginning for them. They're going to go to Beijing and get a bunch of really good experience. I can't wait to watch them in, uh, in 2026 and beyond. Um, and same thing with these young women, you know, not just Haley, but you've got, uh, you know, I'm looking at the list right now. Sophia Lockley, I've never met Sophia, but born in 2000. Novi McCabe, born in 2001. Like, these athletes are going to take the mantle when, when Jesse and Rosie retire, when Caitlin and Scott retire. So uh, I, I think it's really exciting, and I'm just, yeah, I can't wait. Can't wait to watch what this team can do in Beijing and beyond. I, I, I'm glad you brought up the fact that there's, you know, athletes who don't make it, and sometimes it's really close, and it's kind of political in nature, especially in the Winter Games. Um, I've been doing... A series of stories here in town because we have Kai Owens and Tess Johnson, mogul athletes, deepest team ever in U.S. You know, there's basically five in the top ten on the world, and so someone's not getting to go right. And um, uh, mm -hmm. just kind of 
I don't know. Sketchy is probably the wrong word. It just seemed more like convoluted and, and just very political. And so <laughs> when I look at the Nordic skiing, which I have been following pretty close, you know, as well with like Zach Ketterson coming from North America going over it. And I was just thinking in his case, like, you know, he literally did everything he could have done to go from I wasn't nominated to a period one start. And so I dominated the super tour, got over there. You know, I think he was the only guy who maybe finished the whole tour to ski. And uh-huh. and then those last two World Cups get canceled. So it's like he doesn't really have a chance to prove it. And what I'm getting at is like the process for qualifying for a team, it's almost like a two-year planned out thing, right? Like if you're not there in period one on an Olympic year, good luck. And in order to be there period one, you really got to put in some very good results the previous year. In order to do that, you got to kind of, you know, shred it up in the, in the super tour or NCA ranks or whatever. Right. And I'm not like anti-pipeline, but I kind of look over at track and field where we are head and shoulders above anyone in the world by far. And like our system there is here's the qualifying time. And then you got to show up at Hayward field, top three go. And yes, we're going to leave behind a guy like Donovan Brazier ranked number one in the world, but too bad, right? It's got to be fair. And like, we're just going to let it get decided head to head. And Jim Galanis, actually, he messaged me after I put this, brought this up on my last podcast. He's like, I kind of agree like that we need some more head to head element. Um, I like the, all the athletes going, so I'm not like they should have taken this guy off, but I'm just kind of curious if in your career, you're sort of like, yeah, you know, this isn't really fair. Like, you know, maybe we're trying our best, but I, the system is just kind of flawed. And obviously skiing is different than running. So what can you really do? But gosh, yeah, I just kind of feel for those athletes um, because it's almost doubly. It's not like they even, you know, they just woke up one day. It's like, oh, I guess I wasn't good enough. You know, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, on that? Do they need more head to head? Should there be like, Hey, Olympic year, U S nationals, we gotta, we're going to set it up. So it's like, these people are going to go that way. We kind of avoid this mess. Yeah, I think it's really tricky. I think that the differences between track and field and cross-country skiing are stark um, in, in for a couple of reasons. One is track and field happens on a very flat oval, and cross-country skiing certainly does not. And, and you also have, you know, mass start races where anything can happen, um, and you just have way more variability, variability in snow conditions, variability in the in the hilliness of courses, variability in right. temperature and wind. And there's so much variability in skiing that there's not in track and field, and that's why, that's, I think, a good reason why it makes sense to look at the long-term performance of an athlete more than a one-off who can win a given race. I mean, yeah, you know, the difference between a mass start race that, that you know, that's a 50K mass start um, domestically that finishes in a 20-person sprint um, is not likely to yield an athlete who can succeed in a 50K on the World Cup or at the Olympics, because the, the you know, what it takes for a U.S. athlete, you know, given the level that we're at, to succeed in the 50K of the Olympics is the ability to ski 50K really, really hard and sustainably. Uh, whereas it, to win a domestic 50K, uh, it, oftentimes it takes just sitting in and being fastest in the, in the last 250 meters. And those are two extremely different skill sets. Um, and that's why so that's one reason why I think that the pipeline method matters, or pipeline less method is is you know is maybe more applicable in cross country skiing. The other is that uh, it's a European based sport, and so you you have to choose between sending your best athletes to Europe to compete all winter long and have success on the World Cup, which not only does that matter of its own right, but also prepares you 
better for success at the Olympics than competing domestically does because the level is way higher in Europe. Um, you have to choose between that or having your athletes come back and be head-to-head. And I think if you want your athletes to succeed at the Olympics, you need them to be on the World Cup all year. You need them to be racing at that level. You can't expect them to race at the domestic level and go over and be competitive at the international level of the Olympics. So I think those are those are compelling reasons why the pipeline matter pipeline method is successful. But I assure you, um, where it is painful for athletes who feel like they've never had a chance because they didn't get World Cup starts and therefore they were never considered. Um, I, I think that that's a really hard. Uh, yeah, it's just a yeah. really hard reality, and I, I'm not necessarily saying that one is right, but I'm just trying to make a case for the for the pipeline method. Yeah, no, I think I think you have a good point. Uh, honestly, my only my only two not objections. It would be more like, but what about this? Is the fact that you kind of have to get in the recurrence so early, you know, because what you brought up with the, with um, all of the different facets, ski speed, train, snow conditions, all that, like having access to top of the line technician work and skiing is so critical. And so the earlier that happens for you in your career, then the better results you have earlier. And then you kind of just, you know what I mean? Right. You're, you're in the, in the pipeline, junior nationals and above it's, it's very, it's, it's nearly impossible per se to have like a 17 year old discover Nordic skiing and then wind up competing in the Olympics. And I get that that's like pretty rare in almost any country, obviously, but that, and that's the nature of skiing, you know, because of that. And it's like, man, how do we, how do we repair that? So it's a little more equitable for those, for those athletes. And, you know, because I think you're right. Like, and, and honestly, I think if I, if it was to be implemented, you can't like bring them home in November and then send them back at the Olympics. It would have to be more like, you know, okay, I guess we're not doing the tour to ski in an Olympic year, you know, and who knows, maybe that would like taper everyone perfectly, but <laughs> cause yeah, you're right. It's just so right. wildly different. It, it's definitely more of a sacrifice long-term in hopes that if we do this 30 years from now, the U S nationals would be like Norwegian nationals. Cause let's face it. When the Norwegians skip the world cup, they go back to Norway and race something more competitive than the world cup, right? Like it's nuts. And so that's just, that's just wild to, to comprehend, but not that we'd ever get there. Well, uh, <laughs> no, I, I would I would love to see the U.S. get there. I hear you, but I, I yeah, we're not there yet. And so, looking at the realities of today, I think they're just it's just a really difficult choice. Um, and, and I think actually, you know, to push back a little bit, there are examples of people who who got in later. But Holly Brooks did kind of uh, you know getting to the Olympics. She was not even skiing in her early twenties um, competitively. She took a bunch of years off and was just coaching, and then got back into it. I mean, really a remarkable story and um, you know I mean Simi uh, nearly quit skiing at Middlebury before coming back in and, and being one of the best skiers in the world um, so so there are athletes that make it off the domestic circuit but I, but I hear you do look at athletes who, who are doing everything right and not getting the start opportunities and it breaks your heart and I, I feel for it in them and, and I would love to see a more equitable system I just don't know what that is yeah yeah I think that is it's, it's like well if someone has a better idea let's go for it but, uh, I really Achilles and his gold, Achilles and his gifts. Thank you for tuning in to the Cedar Skier podcast. Go to cedarskier.com. Check out some of our articles, other podcasts, of course. And we just want to give a special shout out to Chris and Lillian who are racing the Noak Mountain this morning. Uh, 50 some K of hopefully mostly double pulling, right, Chris? Um, so we're glad he's scoping out the course. We wish him the best of luck. We hope he's got some. Um, some fast skis as well. Good luck, Lillian. Take the girls' race. You know, probably better than Chris anyway, honestly. No, just kidding. Uh, we appreciate 
uh, the followers that we have on this show. We hope you enjoyed this. Keep on striving. Get out there for a ski today. Testaments they told the moon and its eclipse and Superman.